I want to speak to you this morning about hearing God. And if ever there was a moment when we need to hear God, it's now. Our political situation, our national situation, Britain needs to hear God. What is God saying to us? Now, the issue, I believe, is not with God himself. He is the living, communicating God who reveals himself. And the question, therefore, is more to the point, are we listening? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 10 to 14, recounts the time when Jesus began his public ministry and spent most of it by way of parables, speaking to the crowds in parables. The parabolic form of communication was not unknown in Old Testament times, developed by the rabbis, but Jesus speaks in parables in a very special way, with a very special purpose. And the Bible records how the disciples came to him to ask him about it. And in verse 10, Matthew 13, it says, Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So the issue right away is are we open and ready to listen and to inquire of God? And Jesus speaks to his 12 disciples and he says to them in the first instance, to you is given to know the secrets of the kingdom. In other words, he's saying to you, you 12, you disciples, I am entrusting the revelation that the Father has given to me. Now we need to understand that there is a primary sense of that revelation coming to the 12 apostles in a unique way. I want to use the scripture for this purpose in a moment, and we often do. We see uh, where the word you is written and say, that's me, he's speaking to me. Well, he is, but primarily he was isolating his 12 apostles and saying, I am giving you a particular insight into the gospel, into the things of God, for you will be my witnesses. You are the ones who are going to record this. And ultimately, that leads to the New Testament we have in front of us. And it's very important to know that the apostolic witness is the foundation of all revelation, the touchstone, the testing point of everything that we know and believe. 
So when we talk about hearing from God, it is not a spiritual free-for-all that we all just say, well, I think this, I think that, God is saying this, God is saying that. There is a test for everything. The fount of all revelation flows from the revelation of God in Christ, and everything that we consider to be a word from God must be thoroughly tested. And that's why in this church, we seek to be part of a growing move of God across the nations, and that is we strive to become a word and spirit church. Not just a word church in which we study the scriptures and embrace the Bible um, in that sense alone. And I don't believe you can truly do that without the second part, which is knowing how to walk with the Holy Spirit and depend upon the Holy Spirit for everything and be open to the Holy Spirit. And the word and spirit come together in every expression of God's revelation. The Bible itself is the express word of God. God breathed. In other words, it's the product of the Holy Spirit as he operated through men of old. Even Jesus himself, who is the living personal word of God, was the one who was anointed by the Holy Spirit without measure and therefore is the Christ. He was anointed because he was the Christ. He didn't become the Christ because he was anointed. So in all of this, we must learn perspective. In this short series, I want to go on to the uh, manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge, words of revelation and prophecy. But all of that must be framed and founded upon God's Word, the prophecy of Scripture. And in all of this, Jesus says, if you receive the revelation that I have for you and you hold to it, the one who has, more will be given. But if you resist the revelation, you will find that you won't be hearing from God in the way that God would clearly love you to do so. Many people today almost despair of this issue of hearing from God. They don't think that God even hears them. And he is this silent, invisible being far out of reach. And there is a whole load of problems when we struggle with, with this issue. I, I remember when I first came to Britain, I was sweet 16. I'm sweet 60-something now, but uh, well, maybe I ought to allow other people to do to talk about the sweetness element. But anyway, I was 16 years of age, and uh, within a year or so, I heard some tragic news. My father, who was living in Africa, had taken seriously ill. When I got that news, I, who had been giving very little thought to God or anything spiritual, I was desperate, and you've all been there when something happens and, and you don't quite know what to do, and so whatever faith you have or do not have, whatever religious background you may or may not have, you cry out to God, even in the quietness of your heart. But I, I cried out loud, God, help him. Don't let him die. 
Well, tragically, within a week, I heard that my father had passed away. Now, what is the normal human reaction when you cry out to God and he appears not to listen to you? The normal reaction, and it might have been my reaction except for one thing, the normal reaction is to say, well, there you are, it proves it. God doesn't exist. If he does exist, he's deaf, incompetent, or uncaring. And that's what people say to us every day. We try to talk to them about God, and they, they will use sometimes the strongest language, even with oaths and cursing, rejecting the God who has seemingly abandoned them and who remain silent in their time of need. And you don't have to be a philosopher to look out upon the tragedies, the things that are happening, both man-made and those which seem to be inherent with broken nature itself, to look at tragedies and, uh, and great situations of suffering and pain, to, to turn to this so-called God and say, well, where are you when it really hurts? But that was not my reaction. I have no credit to take for that because clearly it was a sign that God's grace was working in my heart. Instead of me shaking my fist at God, I had another reaction. I was conscious and keenly aware that I tried to turn to God in a time of crisis when the rest of my life showed that I wanted nothing to do with him. And that disparity gripped my heart and was actually the beginnings of the working of the Holy Spirit within my life so that before the end of that year, 1971, December the 24th, I came to know Christ. And what I've since discovered is that he is not the silent, invisible God. He is the God who communicates, the God who indeed has made himself visible, manifested supremely, of course, finally and fully in the person of Jesus Christ. And not only has he spoken a word, but the word came himself and was made flesh. Why? That we might know him, even as he knows us. So the first thing to address when we talk about hearing God is the realization that it is almost entirely a heart issue. And we have a lot to fight today or a lot to counter today in the wider society because most people today do not turn to the Bible when it comes to this issue of hearing from God. They will turn to many, many other things, and, and this stuff has been put out by popular media, which is where most of public religious discourse takes place these days, in Hollywood and onwards, and so people have a view of God which they've sort of taken on board from the culture. Gone are the days when people would take the view of God from the scripture unions or the assemblies at school 
all the Scripture classes where they were taught the Bible. Gone are the days when children would learn the Word of God from their parents who were God-fearing. We live in a different culture. And so all the more so that we should call ourselves back to the Bible and understand that hearing God begins in His Word. Now, why is it that people resist? And uh, when I say that, I I don't mean people, I mean us. Even in our hearts, way into our Christian life, we have some of the same tendency to close our hearts from the knowledge of God because of this issue of self-sovereignty. That's the big issue. Now, as an illustration of the use of this word, we can ask we can turn to to the current political situation. I'm only using that as an explanation and understanding of this word sovereignty. I mean, right now, in Britain, the big issue is who has sovereignty? Is it the executive? Does the prime minister have executive authority? Does he have sovereign rights? Is is it parliament? Is the parliament the final say? Parliament can tell the prime minister what to do, or is it the people? And all the way through, the issue of sovereignty is very important politically, but not half as important as it is personally. Who has sovereignty of your life? A lot of people will answer straight away, I have. This is my life. It's my choice. And nobody is going to control me. I bow the knee to no one. No one's going to tell me what to do. And that sounds all very well as far as it goes, but upon closer examination, we discover it doesn't go very far at all because we are not isolated, self-contained, self-determining units. We're not islands protected from an environment that influences us. In fact, we are being shaped and influenced all the time. Our opinions and attitudes come so much from our environment, particularly the spiritual environment in which we live. And when we turn to the Bible, we discover that that is not a level playing field. There are spiritual forces at work which are blinding our hearts and and aiding and abetting our natural resistance to the truth and revelation of God. And only the Holy Spirit can break that down by the grace of God in Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 and 5, speaking about those who were resisting his message, those who were perishing, he says, in their case, the God of this world, spiritual powers, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. Later on, it goes on to say, but God who, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So revelation does count, and it's about God's grace stepping in. Earlier in the service, we drew the parallel between the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, and the covenant that God has made with us through Christ. And indeed, we are in the new covenant. And one of the greatest gifts of the new covenant is God's gift to us of a heart that longs after him. Did you appreciate that? 
everything that you have, even your desire to be here, unless you have been frogged marched in by your wife or another overzealous relative. Every one of us in this house today are here because the grace of God is at work. And it's, yeah, well, yeah, give God praise for that. And it all comes down to what God spoke through Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7, which is the characteristic, irreducible foundation of the new covenant. God says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. That is your new covenant birthright. So I know something about you. I know a great deal about you, not because I'm particularly discerning, but because the Bible tells me that the most fundamental part of your life if you have received Christ and the Spirit of God lives in you, in other words, if you are a believer in Christ, the, the, the truest thing about you, way, way, way deep down, you are a lover of God. Amen. Now, you didn't produce that of your own energy and effort. God made you that way in Christ. You have been recreated in Christ. Whatever else may be true about you, whatever distractions are going on in your minds, whatever confusion there might be, whatever pressures you may be under, or whatever sense of your own weakness or failure or knowledge, self-knowledge of your continued desire to move in a direction away from God, which we all struggle with even as believers every day of our lives, Whatever else may be true of you, deep down in the deepest part of you is a desire to follow God, a fascination with him and a love for him which is heaven born. It's not of human making. Amen Amen. and amen. So this is your birthright. This is who you really are, a God curious person, a person who has an inquiring heart that has been shaped by grace and attracted by his irresistible love. Of course, now our response to that is to give him time and present before him daily a readiness to listen and a willingness to follow. But this surrendered heart has been taken captive. It's been captivated and enthralled with God because we, by the Spirit, have seen the true identity of Jesus. Though there was a time when we saw nothing in him that would be desirable, the Holy Spirit shone the spotlight of God's grace upon the face of Jesus. And now now we want nothing more and nothing else. That is sometimes obscured by our own weaknesses and obscured by the distractions and problems that we face and our own tendencies at times to go astray. But, but the truest part of you is a lover of God. And what wins our hearts? What has won our hearts? It's nothing, nothing more than his love. And I want to say, and I do, as, as you know, spend as much time as I possibly can with people who do not yet know and love Christ. 
I want to be a bridge. I want to talk to them. I want to help them. I want to love them. I want to show them something of the visible love of the invisible God in my life. And I want to say to those who respond to me frequently, sometimes with very strong language, language that you might not find in the Bible, <laughs> you think that this God is unloving, uncaring, demanding, judgmental, and egotistical despot. If only you could meet him and get to know him, you would realize that he's just not like that. A number of years ago, a friend of mine confided in me about a conversation that he'd been part of. And the conversation he'd had was many years prior to him telling me about it. And he said there was a, a, a minister's meeting in his locality. It was in the days when you would have ministerial fraternals, that's what they were called. And what to ministers and church leaders do when they gather together, encourage one another, bless one another, or do other conversations occasionally occur? And he reported to me that a conversation occurred when they spoke about a particular leader from London and described him in the most unflattering terms. Until my friend broke into the conversation and say, you're talking about Colin Dye. <laughs> yes, what of it? Well, he's my friend. And I know him. And I know he's not like that. I said a very silent but emphatic amen. <laughs> Mind you, if they got to know me, they would probably find I wasn't like that at all, but probably far worse, but that's, a, <laughs> that's another story. And so it's about knowing God and, uh, and, and every revelation that God brings, however, whatever form over the years for us, the scripture is the, is the full and final and sufficient record of everything that we need to know, and God invites us to know about him. How do you get to know someone? You watch and you listen. You listen to what they say and watch what they do. Now, the Bible is exactly that invitation. God says, open this book, watch, and listen. Listen to what I say. Watch what I do. And that way, you can come to know me. Now, this requires quite a high degree of diligence and commitment to search him out, to search the scriptures. I cannot understand, really, I cannot understand people who say they love prophecy but never open their Bible. I can't understand people who say, I love to hear the word of God, 
but never study the Scriptures. This is the foundation of everything. And I would say to my charismatic counterparts, leaders in different churches, please, please get back to the Bible. True biblical understanding, true biblical study, scriptural study. Everybody needs an RT in their life. Now, you, you, you might think I'm talking about R.T. Kendall, but I, I'm talking about right theology. <laughs> we need to have a right theology. Because theology is not just the study of God. Theology is really about the knowledge of God. And of course, we have bad examples of theologians who know more about the Bible and nothing at all about God. But the scripture is an open invitation for God to say, come on, discover, dive in deep. And because it's, it's not just an historical record, it's not just letters on a page. The word of God is living and invitational and you interact with God himself and he will speak to you personally and directly from this book. But we've got to put the time in. And most important of all, it must be predicated upon a willingness to have him in the driving seat in our lives. So a few words about the prophetic revelation in Scripture, and then next time I'll take it further. But for now, I'll turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Here we have one of the classical statements in the Bible in which the Bible describes itself. And this is not just a self-authenticating word, because as we shall see, Peter points to objective things to demonstrate that this word, the Scripture, is not human in its invention. 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21, let's read it. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain and we have something more sure more sure even than the prophetic, than the eyewitness testimony, we have something more sure, the prophetic word, which means the verbal revelation of God, the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture in other words, Scripture is prophecy, the supreme revelation of God, the Word of God, God speaking. That's what prophetic means, God speaking. Prophecy, the prophetic Scripture, the, 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 the prophecy of Scripture comes from, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
No prophecy was ever produced, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Not only is this a clear statement of the biblical understanding of inspiration, it is eminently logical. First of all, it is based on eyewitness testimony. And people today, when they want to find out about Jesus, should turn first and foremost to the New Testament. It seems they turn everywhere else but the Bible to find out about God. And they say, well, don't listen to Peter and John and the rest of them. They would say that, wouldn't they? Because they are believers. Yes, indeed. But what made them believers? What changed their viewpoint? I spoke to a friend of mine and he was saying, oh, you would just say that, wouldn't you? You're a Christian. I said, I didn't always think like this. And they looked at me as if I'd dropped a ton of lead on their head. What? I wasn't born this way. Something changed me. Something convinced me. Are you not curious to find out what that was? That changed me from some, well, I won't describe everything, but let's just put the word rebel there uh, to cover a multitude of sins. This rebel into a servant of God. What was it? Was it my cleverness, ingenuity? Was it my philosophical, philosophical academics? I can't even say it. <laughs> Study? No, 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 no. It was the Holy Spirit. I met Christ. And this was not just a spiritual experience. It is founded on faith that is eminently reasonable. And here is one aspect of it. We were with him, Peter says. We know what we're talking about. You weren't there. We were with him. We saw, we heard, we ate. But even more than that, we've received something even more significant than our experience of events, but the divine revelation of the interpretation and spiritual understanding of the events. And if there is a God at all, and there is, it is eminently reasonable to understand that that God would use spiritual means to reveal his spiritual nature to us. Amen. Only those who blindly say, all that exists is the material world. We'll find the force of that argument persuasive. And those who reject the spiritual realm are blinder than blindness itself. So prophecy is God speaking. And scripture is God's very word. It has integrity. It's not the product of human interpretation. It has divine origin, not merely human. Of course, men spoke. That was a human element. But as they spoke, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is divine inspiration. So the result is not merely the words of men, but the words of God. When I was a student um, in the city of Cambridge, I was in a... Uh, a small, tucked away, independent theological college. I had a lot of educating to catch up on, education, uh, because I, I left school at the age of 15 to trip the light fantastic on the London and other stages in Britain. But I caught up on my education. 
Oh, I did, I really did. And um, I remember I was doing a, a study for kids in the Sunday school, and I had to get a huge four-before board, and I crossed, anybody knows Cambridge, a place called Parker's Peace. Cambridge can be very windy, it can be flat and windy, and gusts of wind were blowing across Parker's Peace, and I find, found myself not always traveling in the direction I intended. It was like a giant sail, and that's what it's like. You're carrying the sail, but the wind of God is blowing you. And so the inspiration of Scripture means that God so moved upon people that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit with the result that what they said and wrote was exactly what God intended them to say. Amen. That's Scripture. Scripture is the prophetic word of God. Now, it's not just words. You must understand that this is the product of the Spirit. Therefore, we need the Spirit's wisdom in understanding the Word. And the Holy Spirit can take the Word of God and make it so, so real to you, not just in the general sense of its meaning, but in the particular application to your life giving you wisdom and direction, and you won't have to go to those websites anymore to find somebody who is not speaking by the Spirit of God to prophesy into your life. Back to the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. It's all about God. It's all about the Spirit. It's all about Jesus. And here is the biggest test of all. Does what somebody claims to be the Word of God. Does it honor Christ? Does it reflect the Spirit of Christ? Is it Jesus? That's what I'm asking. Peter says, you know, we, it's all about him. We, this, we, we are eyewitness to his majesty, and, and this points to the full and final revelation of God in Christ. Through the Scriptures, God has shown himself. God has manifested himself through his Word and supremely, of course, through Jesus Christ himself. And where do you go to find who Jesus is? To the Word of God. So I want, in the messages that are to follow, this is an invitation to come back. And if you think that that's um, impossible, then, you know, we are live on the internet, Sunday by Sunday, and, we, and you can watch every message later on, apart from, well, anyway, I was going to say, apart from the ones we weed out, but I don't, can't remember the last time we've done that. Later on, I want to start to talk about what that means for us as people who recognize that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, and that there is an active gift of prophecy today, and that there is an active ministry of the prophet today, what does that mean in relation to all that I've said? But for now, let me address the main question, and that is not whether God is talking. He's speaking all the time, but are we listening? Are we going to the right sources, the Holy Scriptures? Are we relying both on God-enabled diligence and Holy Spirit empowering as we study and apply the Scriptures to our lives. 
even today. It's one thing to hear, but another thing to do. But the deepest point of all is, do you recognize your deep heart to know God? Are you pursuing that desire to draw closer and closer to him more intimately and more personally than ever before? Are you prepared continually to come before him with a humble and discipled heart? Listening to God is so important. I try to keep my ears open at all times. You never know when God's going to drop a little word in your heart that you can share with somebody that has the wisdom of God upon it and that carries the revelation of the Holy Spirit that can penetrate an otherwise dark heart. Do we really have this desire to listen to God and a spirit of openness to allow him to draw us closer and closer to him. If we do, we're candidates for more and more ongoing, deepening revelation of the spirit in our lives. Close with Isaiah 50 verse 4. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, taught by the Spirit, that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary, morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The literal translation there would be to hear with discipled ears, ears that are taught by the Spirit. How many people, genuine question, want to grow deeper in their ability and readiness to hear God for their lives? You, you know, just one word from God can transform a situation. If we know what God is saying, we can face any situation because we have a wisdom from above that transcends anything that any other analysis would ever produce. God Keep speaking to us. Lord Jesus, keep revealing yourself to us. Holy Spirit, keep enlightening us. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen and amen. Let's rise to our feet.